This is Randy Nichols with the Right Angle Podcast. You know, the thing about liberal Christians, even uh, good Orthodox Christians that lean liberal, is that they basically seem to think that Christianity is about being nice. Um, now, the Bible does say, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And that tender-hearted part definitely comes very close to what they're saying. We are definitely supposed to be gentle with people as a default. That's one of the um, fruit of the Spirit. Um, the golden rule, um, do unto others, Matthew seven twelve. Actually, I'm going to argue Christianity is not about being nice. It's about being kind. Oh, you say, what's the difference? Come on. Well, being nice just means not ruffling feathers, doesn't it? Really, like, um, it's a little surface level and shallow. It's about being cordial and civil. Uh, and we do want society. We do want a society like that. We want that to be the default for society, as opposed to, let's say, the Middle Ages, when it was the opposite. Um, they were a little too blunt. You could be crushed for standing out. Uh, from the crowd a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, we do want, as we uh, come across people just as acquaintance, we want our default to be cordial and civil, definitely. Nice is the place to start. But being kind is about loving people. It's about getting involved. There's a little more depth to kindness. And it's about giving them what they need, even when it is hard truth. And mostly it's not, right? Uh, but occasionally, if you're kind to someone, if you really care about them, you're willing to confront them if it's necessary. I'm not talking about enjoying confrontation or wanting to do it, but willingness, willing to confront if necessary. Uh, one illustration of that difference between kindness and, and niceness I remember one day, uh, it was Jean's day at work, and I was walking in. It was a long walk from the parking lot to the office. I had my new jeans on. I felt good. Didn't know it, but I had a sticker down the leg, the back leg of it. Uh, said something like Excel, 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 or 36, 36, 36, something like that. Um, I passed a lot of people. I greeted a lot of people. Lots of different levels of acquaintance with me. Uh, lots of people I know, in retrospect, saw it, and nobody said anything. Uh, then as I was walking, I was at the office, and I was walking in, my friend walks up to me and says, Hey, moron, reaches down and, you know, takes it off, rips it off. I know that's a silly illustration, but he ruffled my feathers, def definitely, didn't he? but he did exactly what I needed. So that's that's what I want to do uh, with people. Uh, and I want to do it on, the, on a podcast like this or in people I know, different levels of acquaintance. I want to get involved in people's life. I want to be kind and give people what they need, Ch change their life in a positive way, uh, not to presume too much, but to, when I can to make a difference that way. I don't want to just patronize people and be a surface level 
non-confrontational, warm, fuzzy person. I want to tell people the truth, even if it's ugly or uncomfortable. Timing is important, of course, but even if it's not very nice sometimes, I want to be kind to everyone. And I want to do that in this podcast. I hope you'll be kind back to me. So once again, I have a late start to the year. I don't know why, but January is usually kind of depressing for me. Maybe it's the weather. It's kind of like Narnia when the witch was raining. <laughs> you know, all, always winter, but never Christmas. Uh, and this year, actually, the weather hasn't been bad. Uh, and I haven't actually been depressed this year, at least not about my life or about uh, the weather or anything. It's just crazy in every other front, uh, nationally. And in, as far as the news, uh, it's hard to know where, where to land on some things. So the election fraud claims were not even really looked at. Then when the electoral college vote was to be formally accepted by Congress, we had this crazy capital riot situation. And I know I'm getting to be sort of the Christian Alex Jones in some ways, but I'm really suspicious, I have to say, whenever any major argument that the right has is suddenly undermined by one event. Uh, I'll tell you what I'm talking about in a minute, but it reminds me of the Vegas shooting a few years back. Our, our argument against uh, gun-free zones, our argument was every major shooting has been in a gun-free zone. You know, some of us call sitting duck zones until the Las Vegas shooting. Now, there was one shooting that wasn't in a gun-free zone and made the news, uh, but it was over in seconds. It was at a church service. A uh, guy shot a couple people in the parking lot, went inside, got in the lobby, shot a couple of times, and then an off-duty female cop dropped the perp just easily in seconds, like I say. Um, and then the Vegas shooting was a, so it was a country music concert in a parking lot. Uh, there was a high-rise hotel deck where the shooter was, and people were pinned in by barriers in different places. Uh, and though they were armed because it wasn't, a, some of them, because it wasn't a gun-free zone, they couldn't see him well or defend themselves. And I remember things coming out piecemeal and not making a lot of sense. And I remember even Tucker Carlson saying, this timeline doesn't make sense. And then suddenly, everybody in the media just stopped talking about it. And so we that took away the argument about gun-free zones, at least in theory, which some some people would say. But it was very suspicious, uh, suffice it to say. It was not, it was uh, enough to make me, you know, scratch my chin and say, that's, uh, that's not, uh, I'm not clear on what happened there. So, like, I'm not somebody who goes crazy about conspiracies or I love them or I get into them or and I'm not dogmatic about them or anything. 
I'm just not scared of being called a conspiracy theorist. When you think about what it, what it is, and as I said before, a theory about a conspiracy. Yeah, you can call me that. I'm somebody who is not afraid to say that people in power do conspire occasionally. And I need answers to questions sometimes. And I'm mostly just saying in a lot of these uh, things that are being called conspiracy theories, I'm at least just saying something looks, something doesn't look right. You know, JFK assassination. That something going on there. I don't know. That's all I'll say about that. But similarly, we have similar to the what I was saying about the shooting. We have been able to say all along, and largely still, largely still can say, as conservatives. Even Trump supporters, even Trump supporters, the rowdiest of conservative people, we don't riot. We are peaceful, patriotic, law-abiding citizens. Whereas the left is goes to violence pretty quickly in some situations, uh, very violent lately, and they realize it looks bad. It looks really bad. It started to look really bad for Biden. It was getting bad numbers, and then they stopped talking about it. But the the writing still continues. And even after very unfair events, like we're talking about the election or the way different things have been treated in the media, conservatives will complain loudly, will argue our points, but we don't get violent. Then suddenly... The Capitol riots undermine that argument. Um, And I'm just saying I find that very suspicious. It makes me look into it and say, okay, uh, just on that first step, because it's quickly undermining a major argument, I'm going to look at it a little closer. And then it looks more suspicious to me. So right, right away I'm like, okay, so we're supposed to believe that the massive nation of our time, the United States, uh, one of the most largest uh, militaries. Uh, We have 17 intelligence agencies. We have the ability to dramatically affect international events on a global scale. Uh, We have military all over the place, national security. uh, We don't play with national security on a lot of situations. Like, Like for instance, Area 51, Uh, My son was saying recently, they did not play with that at all. There was no, like, breaking in. Oh, we didn't have enough security or anything like that. Um, And we're supposed to believe Trump supporters got the drop on Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police Department and broke into, listen to this, one of the most important buildings in the nation during a very important session, like a sensitive, politically vital session for our democracy. uh, An electoral college uh, acceptance, confirmation, uh, that was was, uh, more sensitive than usual because it was being objected to in a more serious way. That has me saying, hmm, I find that a little hard to believe. And then you see video, and you see definite video of actual violent things happening. Yes, granted, that absolutely happened. 
then you see some video of people walking through the Capitol at one point, staying within the velvet ropes, looking around like they're on some kind of tour. Uh, we saw pictures of Capitol Police moving barriers, sometimes guiding people through areas. So there, there are certainly disturbing scenes, and that's enough to say this is a riot. But now we know that there were left-wing instigators, which was something a lot of us thought right away, of course. And we know many of the right-wingers were not your typical mainstream conservatives. They were alt-right, you know, QAnon supporters or Boogaloo, whatever that is. But I'm still like, come on, that's, that's very hard to believe. First, that any crowd could do this, first of all. Get the drop on Capitol Police uh, and get in a very important federal building during a sensitive session. Secondly, that it would be a group of people that are traditionally the most peaceful group of protesters in American history. Going back to the Tea Party, remember that. Occupy Wall Street wasn't very violent, but they were very rowdy and they didn't care about where they were or who they were bothering. They were the forerunners of BLM, Antifa rioters. Uh, Tea Party patriots were the forerunners of the Trump rally goers and Stop the Steal protesters. And, and Tea Party people were the kind of people that would clean up after the protests and leave the place in better shape. Trump people have been that way over and over again, as rowdy as a rally can be with Trump, these are still peaceful, patriotic people. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know for sure everything that went on, but on its face, it's just not believable to me. Something's up. They, they say then that it was a deadly riot. Well, let's look at that. Why do they say it's a deadly riot? So they talk about seven deaths. First, you got two protesters uh, that we now know basically had medical issues in the middle of the protests, which is something that often happens in a big crowd, a football game, a NASCAR race. Uh, I have a cousin that was a EMT, and he would say, inevitably, somebody's going to have a heart attack or something like that. Um, so that's stretching it to call it deadly because of that. I mean, you're just exaggerating for effect if you say that. So that's two of the deaths, at least. Then there were two Capitol policemen that committed suicide days after the riots. So, hmm, why is that a death connected to the riots? Um, are we assuming that both of them were so devastated by the riots that they offed themselves? That's kind of a stretch. It is pretty strange to have two suicides as connected to each other and then after a situation like that that aren't related. So it does appear to be the result of something that happened to both of them, and it was right after the riots. But that doesn't make the riots deadly. That's something strange that's um, sort of adjacent to it. Then there are two deaths that seemed very damning to the rioters. One was reported as a woman that was trampled by the crowd. 
Uh, and then the other one was even worse. They said a cop was bludgeoned by riders. Uh, at one point, they said with a fire extinguisher, he was beaten to death. That's just horrifying when you hear that. It's like, wow, okay, that, you know, that's horrible. And uh, when you get to the bottom of it. But breaking news update, guess what? Yep, you guessed it. Both of those were not true. So uh, the woman was another medical issue. Uh, and then the officer was not beaten. Seems to have, another, have had another issue. At one point, they were saying it was perhaps related to pepper spray. What? Now they're saying he might have had a stroke. Um, how did that reporting mistake happen? Those two that were really scary. Hmm. And now they won't release the op autopsy for that cop. Why? So the only death, and, and going back to the autopsy, like, okay, like Matt Walsh said, I can think of reasons why they wouldn't release it. I can think of no good reasons why they wouldn't, so... So, given all that, I'm saying the only death actually due to the riot, apparently, was Ashley Babbitt. And she was a Trump supporter who was climbing through a window and shot in the neck by the Capitol Police. She was unarmed and not being violent. She was trespassing, and that's not good. Uh, but that seems like overkill. And there, were, if you watch the video, there was... Uh, police coming up behind her, and uh, it looks like it could have been avoided. But of course, you don't know. We weren't there. But so yes, it was deadly. It was a deadly riot, but only to a Trump supporter. Only to Ashley Babbitt. The other deaths were medical emergencies that could happen in any crowd, and often do, or they are, shall we say, suspicious suicides. And now we are impeaching a president for inciting violence because he was speaking to the crowd before the riot broke out. Except that we know it started while he was speaking, uh, before he was finished. And we know the FBI had reason to believe something would happen at the Capitol, yet they didn't put enough officers there. Or at least, apparently, it wasn't secure for some reason. And we know that Trump literally said, let's go protest peacefully and patriotically. However, the left says he had propagated this conspiracy theory of the election, the election fraud, since November, and he got his supporters riled up in a fury. So, of course, they rioted. And, of course, he should have known that. So he's to blame. But, of course, as I've been saying, the ones that were actually doing this were the Democrats, and especially the left-wing media, all year long. They have been propagating the conspiracy theory that cops all over the United States are hunting down black men and killing them on purpose, and that this is some major problem in our country. I think it was Ben Shapiro recently said... There are 37 million black men in America. Guess how many were shot dead last year? 
think it was 24, something like that. And we don't know how many of those, how many times the cop was black too, or if they were unarmed, or, you know, they were probably armed. I imagine most of them were armed and were probably about to kill the cop. American cops do not want to be in this situation. They make mistakes, but there is no pattern of murder by them, certainly of r racist motivation. There is, there are failures and there are overuse of force, but this is a conspiracy theory that is just not true. It's easily answered by the facts, the statistics, and the media knows it. They know this, yet they keep propagating this lie, and they did all year, even though they knew it was resulting in rioting, and they even amped up their rhetoric to be more incendiary and ex excused and even praised the rioting in some cases. And in Democrat-controlled cities, the police were told to stand down and let the rioting continue, which allowed for much more damage. Over $2 billion of damage was done overall mostly in black communities, and 40 lives were lost, including the black officer um, that was protecting the store, uh, David Dorn. So as I said, the media and Democrats are directly culpable for, for deaths and injuries and damage caused in the riots all summer because of their incitement, their incendiary language, and they of course have done nothing about it. And I, I see no reason to believe they care about these people. There's no effort to help these communities. They were collateral damage. The media and Democrats look at them as collateral damage, necessary problems to achieve a purpose. The end justifies the means. Now, I've, I've given Democrats the benefit of the doubt for years. Um, ever since I looked at their ideas, decided I disagreed with them, I still thought I thought their policies don't work and don't actually help the situation, but at least they care about the poor. They care about minority communities. Uh, this year changed my mind about that. Not anymore. I would still say, I would still say that about the average left-wing voter, Democrat voter, average one does care, and that's many times why they're voting that way uh, because they hear the rhetoric and they're making an emotional decision about that. But if you're talking about the leftist media and the Democratic Party, the leaders at the federal level, I honestly believe they don't care. If you look at the you look at the evidence, they don't care about these people. Except to the extent that they can exploit their situation politically. I don't see any reason they would let that go on all year long, knowing that it was hurting black communities burning down their communities, their businesses, black-owned businesses, and then nothing would be done to help them. Uh, for instance, has Black Lives Matter as an organization, have they given any money to the families of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or James Blake? They raised a lot of money during this year. What is the money going to? Is it rebuilding these communities? Is it helping people reopen their black-owned businesses? Nope. It goes back into more promotion of the BLM organization, which is anti-family. 
I would say, anti-American and is Marxist. It's a political movement, and they're promoting themselves. I, I hope to be proven wrong on that, but I've, I've looked into that, and I see them doing nothing. The Democrats are doing nothing to help. I mean, they they would say, they would respond and say, oh, they should get government assistance on that. Uh, but nothing is is going to help these fa- individual families, uh, victims of the 40, the 40 victims of the riots. Uh, nobody is paying any attention to that. The media is not paying any attention to those families. And nobody's taking care of them. Uh, does it matter that Trump got the economy going so well? Uh, or that, I believe his administration had record low black unemployment. Does a result like that matter to anyone? Or is it just about the left-wing party having power? I think we all know the answer to that. Yeah, this is what I really wanted to get to, is the can- the cancel culture mob is back, and they're on the attack. Um, Gina Carano, who was a, who is a conservative that was acting on The Mandalorian, and Disney fired her because she tweeted a comparison of cancel culture and the Nazi regime, and they basically confirmed what sh- she was saying by firing her. So the real question is not... Are they unfairly wielding their power in culture against conservatives? Uh, When people are canceled, they aren't saying this person is conservative, even though that's obviously why. They're acting like this person has expressed a view way outside the mainstream. And they are saying that about us, right? They're saying that about Trump and all his supporters, by the way. We are way outside of the acceptable norm of political views. Really? Why is that? Because we haven't moved much, really. I mean, and and whenever people are calling Trump a fascist, I'm like, really, what are are Trump's fascist views? What are his uh, policies that are fascist? I don't see it. They'll say something about kids in cages. I'm like, hmm, that started with Obama. And there's a bunch of just almost like memes that they'll throw at you and you you can tell there's nothing no substance to any of these accusations um and i think there's a little bit of projection going on because as i'm gonna illustrate they i think it's obvious that they are the ones outside of the norm so what is the overton window these days uh, you know, that term, the Overton window, is the acceptable viewpoints. It's the window of acceptable viewpoints on the whole political spectrum, but between left and right boundaries. So you write a boundary, draw a boundary on the right side, um, uh, dividing the extreme views of the right from the acceptable views of the right, and you draw a boundary on the left with dividing the extreme on the left and the acceptable on the left. 
The traditional Overton window was pretty clear. That is, it used to be. I would argue the left is way outside of it now. So they're engaged in projection. They realize they are, and they're projecting that onto us. They're saying, you guys are way outside because you're, you know, and that would be fascism. Um, let me explain. They won't define the line on the left, by the way, but we have been very consistent on the right. So any overt racism, the neo-Nazis, skinheads, something like theocracy, you know, religious uh, rule, or any kind of military dictatorship, all that's on the right, on the outside of the right boundary of the Over Overton window. Uh, fascism, if you believe that's on the right, as I've talked about, I would argue it's on the left, but to the extent that it's on the right, um, that's outside the Overton window. And that's what they're saying about us. And we have actually enforced that boundary. I think it was Representative Stephen King said something about something positive about white supremacy. And our side, I mean, of course, the left was howling about it, but our side dealt with that. And he is not in the Congress anymore. He was primaried. It was condemned by the right. No, we don't accept that. Um, but the left, the left won't clearly answer that. We, we say, where is the line? Where exactly is the line on the left? What is, what is too far left to be politically acceptable? Uh, much less enforce any boundary on anybody. They won't say to each other, you're going too far left. So the traditional Overton window on, on the right, the acceptable on the right, uh, you had like classical or paleoconservatism and then has been neoconservatives like um, every president between Reagan and Trump was a lot were neoconservatives. A lot of the movement on the conservatives on the right side was neoconservatives. Paleos or classical conservatives would be advocating a balanced budget and low taxes, low spending, um, small government as a result of that, low taxes, low spending, and a uh, foreign policy that's non-interventionism, usually critiqued as being isolationism, but they just don't want to intervene. Um, it's the idea of not getting in foreign entanglements. Um, and the neoconservative takes that and says, let's be looser with deficit spending, and then they, they get to where they're not ever cutting spending uh, as long as they have they'll have low taxes to spur the economy. And they're also different on foreign policy than the classical conservatives. They're very proactive and they get involved in a lot of stuff, um, foreign entanglements, I would argue, and nation building, that sort of thing. Both kinds are pro-life, pro-traditional marriage. Paleos would be more actively opposed to things that are anti-family, like pornography or things like drugs. Um, then on the left side, the, Overton, the traditional Overton window, this is ex the acceptable positions on the left. You had classical liberals, which are more like libertarians now. They would actually have lower taxes, maybe less spending, uh, contrasting to the 
new liberals, the social liberals. Um, the, the newer liberals had been uh, traditionally Keynesian in their uh, fiscal policy, which means more deficit spending. So that would go along with the neocons, you know, they work together and say, you neocons can have your low taxes if you let us spend tons of money. And the neocons are like, sure. <laughs> and that's what's why we're in the mess we have. We have the good economy, but we have this huge, massive debt. But the of the left there, the uh, classical liberals and the the neoliberals, the, the uh, social liberals, they call them, both on social policy had a, a, a libertarian-like live-and-let-live view of social policy. And that's, and that's the difference. You contrast that with what they're doing now. So on fiscal policy, they've moved to from Keynesian to full socialist, like actively redistributing wealth. Um, and not just communism, but socialism has always been outside the Overton window. I remember they always used to say, no, we're not socialists, when we would accuse them. And now they're like, okay, we're socialists, but it's good. You know, co communism is considered a slur. But, and I said this, you know, about Kamala Harris, uh, her last push in the campaign was an animated, little animated video where she was saying, um, we have to guarantee, she was talking about equity as opposed to equality, we have to guarantee um, equality of outcome. Now, if you're incentivizing equality of outcome and you're redistributing, that's one thing. You're guaranteeing, you want to guarantee equality of outcome. That's that's obviously communism to me. That's not, and that sounds like I'm a slur, but I, I just, I don't understand why, why do we not call people communists until they have an actual regime, until they're successful at setting up a communist regime or they're part of a communist regime? Uh, we don't call them communists because it's too harsh, I guess, or whatever, but. It's an actual label that means something. Until then, we're like, oh, they're just Marxist or socialist. As if they're only contemplating an economic policy. You know, like it hasn't occurred to them how they would have to enforce it. You know, if you're guaranteeing equality of outcome, you're, you're going to enforce that. You know, that's communism. That's how you have communism. So, as discussed before, these are not really liberals in, now in the true sense of the word. They don't have a live and let live po social policy. They don't want freedom. They want compliance. They present the illusion of liberalism in that they endorse bizarre sexual extremes so that people are like, wow, you're so open-minded. Uh, but they aren't saying, even in those issues, they aren't saying... Let everybody do what you want. They're using it to be authoritarian with conservatives, and they're saying, you have to accommodate this. So even in those issues, and if you look at their entire uh, policies, all of their group of policies, everyone, their platform, it's authoritarian. Everything is about government control. 
It's statism. That's their default position. And I think that's clear that they are outside the Overton window. And I will continue to ask this question until I get a clear answer. What is the Overton window? Because they act like everything to the right of their wokeness is you're a Nazi. You're just a white supremacist or what? You're a fascist. Is everything to the right of complete wokeness uh, out of the bounds of Overton window? So there's just this narrow strip of wokeness. That's, that's one party rule, if that's the case. Otherwise, that's just more of them playing political games using propaganda. Until I get a clear, acceptable, satisfactory answer to that, I don't accept any of their condemnation of the right. Until they give a reasonable answer to what the Overton window is now or should be. This is Randy Nichols. You can follow my social media on MeWe, Gab, and Parlor. If you have any questions or feedback, I want to hear your thoughts. You can email me at randynichols1270 at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-D-Y-N-I-C-H-O-L-S 1270 at gmail.com. Thank you.